0: You are listening to the Lazy Equity Podcast, brought to you by Bobby Hieri and Darren Venter, founders of the Investors Agency and Deba. With over 20 years' experience in real estate between them and having bought hundreds, if not thousands, of properties around the country, you are in the right place to learn all things property. This podcast is designed to educate and empower everyday Aussies to take control of their future
1: through property. Hey guys, and welcome to episode 12 of the Lazy Equity Podcast. In this episode, I'm super excited to have two very special guests on the show. These two guests are paramount to the success of our clients, to the success that our clients are having at the investors agency. And I could not speak any higher of them. One of the guests is dialing in all the way from Hong Kong, and the other one from Sydney, Viola Ho and Crystal Patel from Sphinx Elphic Ho. Thank you for joining us. How are you both going?
2: Thanks very Bobby. well. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, Hi,
0: Bobby. Thank you.
1: Thanks for coming in all the way from Hong Kong, Viola. Appreciate the uh, the time that you're putting in, and I'm sure the listeners will be getting a ton of value.
0: Great, no, and nice also- to be talking. Yes.
1: And also, Crystal. I know you're super, super busy, and we are always keeping you guys under the under the pump with the amount of our mutual clients that we have together. So I do yeah. appreciate uh, the time that that you are putting out of your day to, to to come in on the show. Why don't um Viola? Why don't we start with you in a, in a couple of sentences? Why don't you tell me tell tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and and who you are professionally or personally, and and then we can go for, go from there.
0: Hello to all. My name is Viola Viola Ho H O. I am the principal. One of the principal of our law practice in Sydney, Spence Elfic hall Lawyers. And in Hong Kong, we also have a law practice. So that is why I'm sitting in Hong Kong. But I do work for Bobby's clients pretty much on a full-time basis with Crystal every day. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and uh and that's why we love working with you guys, because if we send you a contract at seven, seven o'clock at night or eight o'clock at night, then we can rely Keep on working. you guys to get it reviewed in a in a very uh efficient manner. So we do appreciate that.
2: Yeah, or your Western Australian contracts.
1: Exactly. That's right. <laughs> Crystal, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself?
2: Yeah, thanks, Bobby. Hi, everyone. My name is Crystal Pertel. I'm the Senior Associate here at Spink Selfie Co. Lawyers. was admitted in 2015, I think it was now. So yeah, I've been with the same firm the whole time and um, we've done a great job of building the business up and yeah, working along the investors agency now to, to help everyone's clients along the way.
1: Perfect. And do you guys just do... For the listeners do you guys just do conveyancing or, or real estate law essentially or is there other aspects of law that you guys specialize in as well
0: oh not at all we do litigation and commercial practices in hong kong i do i involve more in the international law aspect of things you know we are litigators so and and also commercial lawyers so if anyone have other legal uh, needs just feel free to contact yeah. us
1: all right, perfect. Sounds good. Well, look, let's get stuck into it today. So, pretty much what I wanted to do today. This is going to be over two episodes. Essentially, we're going to go through the buying process for a, a home buyer, whether they're an investor owner or an owner occupier. We're going to do it in sequential process, essentially from the first thing that that buyers will will come across in terms of that buying process, and then we'll we'll go step by step all the way through till settlement. Now it's probably too big of a podcast to unpack all in one episode, so we're going to do it over two—a little mini series. But we'll get stuck into it and see how far we go today, and um, and we'll go from there. Essentially, the reason I think this is going to be so interesting is because, from our perspective, I mean, you know, we're a buyers' agency, and our job is to help our clients buy investment properties around the country, and we want to do that in a in, in an efficient and effective manner. But we also need to make sure that. All the legalities are, are checked, and and our clients are protected when they're trying to purchase that property. And the reason I think this is going to be so interesting is because we're going to get the black and white, essentially, rules from the legal standpoint. And then I'd like to give my opinion as to how, you know, how how we can use those black or white rules to be able to get a get a deal done in an effective manner, if that makes sense.
0: Absolutely, yes.
1: Perfect. So I guess the I guess the first thing would be. From a legal standpoint, what do you guys suggest would be the first thing that a buyer needs to look at or put into place when they are looking, starting the search for their for their next property?
2: Yes, I'll, I'll answer that one. So basically, apart from what you'll probably address, Bobby, like specific qualities that the, the purchaser is after or the location of the property, you'd be looking at things. It's not so much legal, but finance does need to be brought up and mentioned just because it is a massive component of of buying a property. So you want to make sure that you've at least got pre-approval in place or so you know that your finances are going to get you across so you can actually complete a contract. You want to get that done definitely before you, you sign a contract. And um, it's a good idea to have it whilst you're looking to buy. So that would be the first one. Another thing that comes up quite regularly is ID documents. So making sure you've got the necessary ID documents in place. So making sure they're not expired, making sure that they all match. Uh, so if, say if someone gets married, you need to make sure you you have that marriage certificate ready for us so we can, we can ID you, okay? Yeah. But the main things for ID documents, I think you'd be looking at passport, driver's license, Medicare card, and birth certificate. And then the only other one really that comes up a lot is the marriage certificate or change of name, all right? Yeah. So anything else? If you're purchasing, say, under a trust, just to make sure you've got your trust documents in order, Next thing, another thing, which is very important, it won't apply to everybody, but it's getting approval from the government if you're a foreign buyer. So if you're a foreign person, so basically, if you're not considered to be ordinarily resident in Australia, so that's a big definition, but basically, if you're an, if you're not an Australian citizen and you're not an Australian permanent resident, that that they definitely aren't counted as foreign persons, but. If that doesn't apply to you, you need to consider whether you do need foreign approval to purchase the property prior to signing that contract, and we we can't stress that enough because there are heavy consequences for and penalties for entering into a contract without that approval. So that's a big one.
1: And for those for those foreigners, if they do want to purchase a property in Australia, they just um essentially hit with a larger. A larger tax that they need to need to pay, or a bigger deposit that they need to pay if they wanted to go down that path, or is it different depending on each person's visa and circumstance?
2: Uh, it's it's generally across the board the same. It depends on the price of the property, um, and then that's the applica- that'll affect the application fee that needs to be paid to to apply to get that uh, approval. But once that's been paid, and you say you you are successful, and they do provide that approval, then you can go and purchase. Then it gets a little bit tricky because if you are a foreign person, you do get or may get hit with sur surplus surcharge, transfer duty, yep. and also you might have land tax implications as well.
1: Okay, so, cool. And something and,
2: to
1: consider. Okay, cool. And I I can't agree with you guys enough on the finance perspective side of things. Obviously, from a legal mm-hmm. standpoint, it's super important. But from a buying standpoint, our job is made so much easier. Well, we don't search for any clients until they have their pre approval in place, but. For anyone that doesn't want to use a buyer's agent, we also recommend always getting your pre-approval in place, even if you can put in finance clauses, because a lot of the time the agents will ask to see a pre-approval when you're putting in an offer on a right. property. If you don't have a pre-approval in place, the likelihood that the vendor will accept your offer if there's other offers on the table with pre-approvals
2: will exactly. be much Exactly. Yeah, all yeah. right. Cool.
0: Yeah, one thing, um, maybe I'll mention something about a foreign purchaser because um, many of my clients are foreign purchasers. Sure. The thing to understand is, it's not it's not that you can't sign a contract without applying for FRLB first, because if that's the case, you probably can't buy anything because the, the vendor is not going to wait till you get the approval before they sell it to you, right? They will sell it to someone else. Sure. What is important is, is in the contract, it needs to have special clause to make sure that the contract uh, doesn't have any legal effect until you obtain this FRRB approval. And most lawyers acting for the vendor, they understand that. And in fact, this FRRB process is very easy to obtain. Basically, you know, like 99.9% you'll get it. Therefore, it's no risk to the vendor. But uh, we have come across uh, one time, this is in Sydney, New South Wales, some, you know, far away places. <laughs> and somehow, certain local lawyers maybe or conveyancer, they don't understand this concept and sure. they will not agree. You know, they, they won't agree or the clause that they propose is, is not acceptable. So in the end, the client can't buy. They couldn't buy that property. Because if you do buy, if you take the risk of buying, you would get fined a big big sum of, not small amounts of money. And that's one point. So, so what it is, is you mustn't sign anything before the contract is being revealed. Because of more often than not, those contracts are drafted by local lawyers, obviously, right? For local people, mm-hmm. they put in the contract, they say the buyer warrants that they don't need FIRB approval. If you're a foreigner, that's not for you. So you must have it amended. So that's point one. And secondly, Crystal also touched on the fact that if you're buying, uh, using a trust instrument. Now, if you do, especially if it's a family trust, then very very likely you may be considered as a foreign person now i won't go into you know very very deep uh to it now the 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 basic reason is because they say oh it's a discretionary trust that means you can distribute to anybody right and then even though your family now is defined okay like me okay i have four kids but then the government think oh but they may they may marry a foreigner so therefore It's potential, you know, potentially the beneficiary can be a foreigner. And that's how they say, unless your trust got properly drafted to include that absolute exclusion, they will consider that as a foreigner. So therefore, again, that instrument needs to be reviewed beforehand. You may need to amend your trustee before you do the purchasing.
1: Okay, so you don't necessarily need to get a a brand, a whole new trust, but it may just need to be amended before purchasing
0: yeah you you just need to amend that before purchasing no no okay. you, you you wouldn't uh, well you can if you want to but generally you don't you don't need to and i, I also want to touch on one thing about this pre-approval finance now we w- recently we had one case and it's hong kong client anyway <laughs> as for house and land package now house and land package now I, i'm not i'm not a finance mortgage broker of any means right but we lawyers we do see a lot of cases please do you know, have your own uh, finance advice, everything, and don't think that the buyer's agent or your real estate agent is responsible for your finance. They are not. In Hong Kong, people, because we don't have this special role of finance mortgage broker, so they give all the job to the poor, you know, buyer's agent. So what happened was the client actually had pre-approval, but then when it's just before settlement, Then the, then the lender say, Hey, oh, I didn't know this. I didn't know that because it's a house and land and the plan is not very straightforward. House and land, you know, not one block, one individual, somehow uh, some sort of subdivision. And then the house is drawn together, which is a bit too hard for some lender. And then they couldn't get the money. So, so it, 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 it's Hmm. some, it's (laughs) higher risk if you got the pre-approval and then you say, Oh, good, no problem. And when 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 it comes, then they say, "Oh, actually, we can't lend you the money."
1: Yeah, we see but, that happen quite a bit in in Australia as well for off the plan off the plan properties. G- I'll give you an example. Like, and this is one of the reasons why we don't we don't. We generally see clear, well, we do see clear of the house and land and off the plan properties. And it's, look, right now, construction costs have blown out and times have blown out a lot as well. So, you know, someone may have signed a contract for a property for Mm $500,000. The reality is that property is now going to cost $580,000 or $600,000. Now, a lot of the time there are clauses in contracts where where the buyer will need to come up with that difference. And if their bank doesn't agree with the value of that property, then there's a shortfall there that the buyer will need to come up with. So like, like you said, Viola, well, if, even if you do have your pre-approval in place, there are still instances where we had an instance where we had actually gone unconditional on a property. This was about a month ago for an Australian client. We'd gone unconditional on a, on a property for a client here in Australia. And then just before settlement, the bank actually declined the the borrower or the the purchaser, and then luckily we had enough time where we could go with a different lender on short notice, but we were actually unconditional on a property and their finance fell through. I mean, that's one in five or 600 times that's happened before and we still don't know why it happened. But but yeah, if you can't have that free so. approval in
0: place.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I think it would be fair to say that in the last 12 months, Crystal, we have many, many settlement delay because of the finance didn't come through in time, wasn't it?
2: Oh, definitely. I think over the last year, just when um, it was the right time to buy, and the interest rates were very low, the banks were inundated. So their their times on getting finance approval was it pushed right out. And you're yeah. talking like six weeks. Like it, it's yeah, it's quite a lot of time to expect a vendor to wait for you to get your finance wrapped up.
1: Yeah, and and just Tricky. in. Just on that, for you for you listeners uh, who are looking to purchase a property, it's really important you have an understanding as to how long your bank's turnaround times are at that time that you're looking to buy a property. Because at the moment, a three week finance clause is probably enough. But like Crystal just said, twelve months ago, you'd need a six week finance clause in there um, if you weren't 100 sure on your finance. So let's the next thing I wanted to touch on. So for the listeners, we're going to, as I mentioned, we're going to go through the buying process and we're going to do each state. So. I think in this episode we'll get to the exchange process, or uh, sorry, we'll get to the unconditional process essentially, and then we'll uh, do the do that next stage from there. But I guess the the next question I wanted to ask in terms of cooling off periods and how they work in different states, and what are your guys, what's your guys' experience on this?
2: Yeah. Okay. So a cooling off period. Just to explain what it is. It's a window of time that provides the purchaser with an opportunity to elect not to proceed with the contract. Okay, so to not purchase and basically not incur hefty penalties by doing so so <laughs> that being said you still incur a penalty but if you do pull out within that time and provide the written notice you you do incur a lesser penalty okay so obviously it depends it differs state to state but across the board it, it's an important thing to have we definitely recommend it and if yep. it needs to be relied upon it yeah you, you, you've got it under your belt to use if you do need it
1: okay cool and uh essentially are they does every state have a cooling off period and can you waive your cooling off period if you wanted to if you wanted to make your offer more i know generally lawyers will say don't ever waive your cooling off period but this is this is why this podcast is going to be interesting because <laughs> my our job is to try uh increase the probability of success your guys job is to uh, mitigate as much risk as possible so first of all i guess can you waive your cooling off period and and does every state have that
2: yeah, okay. So yeah. yes, you can definitely waive your right to a calling off period or you can reduce the amount of time that you have that calling off period for. But like you said, basically, we would advise against it, but it is something that you would do in the circumstance where you wanted to make your offer more attractive. Uh, definitely, I can see why people would want to do it. And another thing, if you've got your, like you said before, if you've got your finance in order, you've had the contract reviewed and you know there's a little risk, then obviously that's better to have that all in order before you're doing that. So it is obviously less risk if you've got all of that in place. So you can definitely waive it or you can shorten it.
1: Yeah. And even if you waive it, but you've got your building and pest and finance clauses in the contracts, then you're essentially protected with, with those two those two clauses. Now, those clauses are different from state to state, but you do have some level of protection if you've got those clauses in the contract as well.
2: Yeah, exactly. So, obviously, cooling off period. You could use it for a finance issue. You could use it for a building and pest issue. If a contract did have an inbuilt clause for finance and building and pest, then you, yeah, you do have that fallback, which is generally going to last longer than your cooling off period. And and just on that for the cooling off periods, I'll just go through what they are. New South Wales, and this is just basic to keep it very basic, New Great. South Wales, Queensland, ACT, you're looking at five business day cooling off period. Yep. Okay, then we drop down to three business days for Victoria. Mm-hmm. From that, it's then going to go to two business days for Western Australia. Yep. And then we That's get South to Australia. No. Oh, sorry for South Australia. So two business days for South Australia, yeah. and then we go over to Western Australia, where they actually it's not standard to offer a cooling off period at all. So okay. yeah, you must request it in, in West in Western. Yeah, you have, you the, have the option, option to request it. request
1: it. Okay, and if you pull out during the cooling off period, sorry, I'm not sure if you mentioned this already. If you pull out during your cooling off period, is it se- essentially the whole deposit is refunded, or is there um is there a percentage that you'd lose as a buyer?
2: So it depends. Sometimes at this stage, maybe you haven't paid any deposit, but across the board, if we go through here what the penalties are, so New South Wales, Queensland, ACT, if you do pull out within the cooling-off period, you're looking at losing or forfeiting 0.25% of the purchase price. During the cooling-off period. Yeah, during the cooling-off period, 0.25%. Okay, then Victoria, I think, drops to 0.2%. Yeah. All right. Then you've got South Australia is a good one. You actually don't lose anything, so that's always a bonus. But by that stage, normally in South Australia, you wouldn't have paid any any deposit at that stage. And then obviously Western Australia, it doesn't really apply because there's no falling off period. Most in most cases.
1: Yeah and and you just mentioned in South Australia you probably haven't paid anything at that stage it's because for you listeners essentially you you have correct me if i'm wrong crystal you have 48 hours from when the form 1 is 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 delivered now the form 1 is essentially a form where the agent has formalized the exchange process of of purchasing that property and and is that right in terms of 48
2: hours from that time Yeah. So basically, that is the idea. So in South Australia, you you have the sale contract, but like you just said, you have an additional document called a Form 1 disclosure document. So in that Form 1 disclosure, it basically, it, it is what it says it is. It's disclosing everything relating to the property. So the cooling off period for South Australia in that circumstance is it's two full business days. So it kind of is technically 48 hours. So if you say exchange on the Monday your cooling off period would end on 12 p.m. or 11.59 p.m. on the Wednesday. So you get the full Tuesday, you get the full Wednesday. Okay, so it's a, sometimes it can be a little bit longer than the 48-hour period. But yeah, if, if you keep it in your mind, it's two business days, you're, you you should be fine.
0: Okay. Yeah, and
2: cool. yeah, it's, 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 it's important to know that that is for South Australia.
0: But any other states they talk about business day, it expires at 5 p.m. So be careful. Right.
1: Okay, so yeah. yeah, sorry, you go, Crystal.
2: Yeah, just on South Australia, and just to explain it, the cooling-off period actually commences on the later of the service of the contract or the Form 1 document. So usually the usual practice is you'll get the contract signed by both parties, and then the agent will deliver and and serve on you the Form 1 document, and it's usually from that time. That would be the standard way, and then you'll have the the two full business days from receipt of either the contract or the the Form 1 document.
1: (laughs) And it's a bit of a, as a buyer's agent, it's a bit of an awkward process in South Australia mm-hmm. for us because we've had instances where like with off-market properties where you've exchanged on a contract. However, the form one hasn't actually been delivered to us for two weeks, up, up to two weeks. Sometimes the agent hasn't sort of ac- um, served us the form one. So we're pretty much just, even though we've exchanged, we're pretty much just sitting there for two weeks and our hands are tired, and there's. Really, nothing that we can action. Sort of in the meantime until until that does come through. But then other times you get some agents where more so with on market properties, you get the contract and then same day or next day they'll deliver the four one, and then it's a mad rush to get the building and pest sorted just in time. So for us in South Australia, it can sometimes be a bit more of an awkward process. It's not as black and white as the other states.
2: Yeah, true. I think that's important in terms of managing client expectations and wanting to know why that document hasn't come through and. When it's going to come through, and you really don't know the answer
1: to it. So. Exactly. Exactly. That's yeah. right. So, okay. Cool. So, I guess from there, let's just say the cooling off period has expired. But one
2: thing.
0: Yeah. One oh. thing to add. One thing to add is, um, if you purchase it by auction, then there is no cooling off period.
1: Correct. Around the country, it's unconditional purchase.
0: So be careful. You know, don't think, ah, oh, good. You know, <laughs> the cooling off period anyway.
1: That's right. If you're purchasing very...
0: by auction yeah there isn't very any.
1: very good point right in um anywhere around the country if you're purchasing at an auction it's it's unconditional there's no building and pest there's no finance there's no calling off 10% deposit is generally due on 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 that day yes so let's just say buyers have now exchanged on their properties and exchange on their property and cooling yes. off period has yep. finished however mm-hmm. there are building and pest and finance clauses on the contract. Now let's not assume New South Wales because that wouldn't be the case. New South Wales, if you've exchanged more than likely you've done your building and pest and finance, you don't have a building and pest and finance clause in there. You've you've usually done that beforehand. Is Am I right in saying that?
0: Yeah, yeah I think so, it's commercial reality. Mm. Yeah, so
2: that, that would be for New South Wales, mm. Victoria, ACTs generally, you will not see a clause um, making the contract conditional upon obtaining finance or building in PEST. So that's when we would recommend either inserting a clause if you've got some delay and you need someone to inspect it and you can't do it before your exchange or, yeah, you need to get it done before exchange, definitely. Make sure you've got your pre-approval in place and make sure you've had someone through the property to do your building and PEST and had time to review their report
1: yeah and a lot of the time the agents in new south wales at least where we've got more experience a lot of the time the agents will provide a building and pest report you can purchase mm-hmm. it at a discount and then if you're successful you pay the remaining balance so yeah, something I think that's like, a great
0: it's, idea
1: yeah it's like fifty dollars for example if you want to inspect the building and pest report and then if you're successful they charge you another 300 but it's always it's extremely important to get this done prior in 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 these states that you just mentioned but what about in um in queensland adelaide and or queensland south australia and western australia where majority of transactions are happening at the moment let's just say Mm -hmm. cooling off period has expired and buyers do still have building and pest and finance clauses in their contracts what if a buyer wanted to pull out on the finance or building and pest what are they liable for in the different states or are they liable for anything and what can they yeah. pull out of as well like is it can you pull out on anything in these states or is it uh is it different from state to
2: state yeah okay so it's different from state to state which is great news keeps it <laughs> interesting basically building a person, it depends on how the clause is written for any contract with queensland you generally have standard terms or clauses which are included doesn't mean it has to be written that way or included as a standard clause but the standard clause in queensland <laughs> It basically for finance. If we target finance first, it means that the buyer has to go and take all reasonable steps to obtain that finance. So it's a bit of a lesser bar than South Australia and Western Australia in that respect. So a little bit what
0: sorry?
2: So it's a little lower threshold. Okay. Okay. So when we get to Western Australia, you'll sort of see the difference on that. But for finance for Queensland, basically they just have to take reasonable steps to obtain that finance. And I'll just go into building and pest and then explain what happens if you want to rely on that clause. Perfect. So for Queensland for building and pest, it's at the at the purchaser's discretion whether they're satisfied with the results in the report, okay, which is it's good for the purchaser. Okay, it's in their favor. So it doesn't matter what that what, what the report finds. Basically, if they see something that they don't like, then they can rely on that and they can serve notice to terminate the contract. Okay. Yep. Now, if they do do that, so say they want to rely on the finance clause or the building and pest clause, and like you said, calling off periods now expired, they are entitled to terminate the contract and they are entitled to full refund of deposit monies paid. Okay. Sure. Obviously, they need to act reasonably in getting the finance, but if they do satisfy that requirement, and um, then then they they're entitled to full refund. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So. Moving to South Australia, it's quite similar. Okay. So I think in South Australia you're looking at for the finance, they have to use their best endeavors. Okay. So it's kind of similar to Queensland. Okay. Yep. And same thing for building and pests. It mm-hmm. needs to be to the satisfaction of the buyer. So it's it's, it's generally the same as Queensland. Okay. And, so um, it's good.
1: And and this is where we find having relationships with agents from a buyer's agent perspective is extremely valuable in a sense Definitely. that like, imagine like, let's go back to Brisbane seven or eight months ago. And if there was a property on the market, there would have been 30 offers on that property, pretty much guaranteed. doesn't matter where in Brisbane, yeah. there would have been 30 offers on that property. Out of those 30 offers, there would have been maybe 26 or 27. There, all Most of them would have had these clauses in there, clauses of some sort. Yeah. But as an, If you've got the relationship with the real estate agents, the real estate agent will then sit down with his seller and say, Look, we've got 30 offers. I've dealt with this buyer's agent before, or I've dealt with this buyer's agent before. We've purchased 20 properties off them this year already. They haven't pulled out on building and pest or finance a single time. Every single one of the deals that we've gone ahead with with them has actually gone all the way through till settlement. So they're going to be the strongest offer, even if the price-wise is not there. Now, if you if you have a vendor that needs a quick sale for you, it's not necessarily for those clients. It's, for those vendors, it's not necessarily about the highest price. It's about the most secure yeah. offer. So the amount of times that we were able to get deals done and still can get deals done, which aren't the highest price, but because we have those relationships in these states where buyers can put in these clauses in contracts, which pretty much enables them to pull out for whatever reason. Like we, had, there was instances where agents were telling us the buyers were just putting in three or four offers on. On three or four different properties and they were putting all these clauses in there so you know even if three of them got accepted they would just pull out on financial building and pest on the other two so obviously mm. if you have those relationships then it's it's going to put you in the best position because the agent's going to know that you're not going to do that or you can pull the you can remove those clauses out of the contract but look we never recommend removing a building and pest clause even as buyers agents we don't ever recommend doing that finance clause it just depends on your personal situation and how strong you are financially and how how confident you are that the property will come back, the valuation will come back at the contract price.
0: Yeah, no, that's a good point. Bobby, I was just going to say, you know, Queensland have very favorable clauses. In fact, the convincing process itself in Queensland, they are more customer focused. And but we don't seem to have any of them pull out, do we, Crystal, from memory, you know, Queensland pull out online but they don't no. it, still, it still goes through so which which i think in my view you know is credited to to you guys as buyers agent because it's not just obviously the relationship between the buyers agent and the and the um vendors agent is important but more importantly because the buyers they understand the process and they are serious buyers you know they, they, they understand before they make that decision to purchase that property they are serious buyers
1: Hundred percent. That's right. Like, if a buyer is using a buyer's agent, they're paying a they're paying a, a significant fee. Generally, between ten to eighteen thousand or eleven to eighteen thousand dollars for for a fee. Then you obviously know that they're serious. You obviously know they've got their pre approval in place. You obviously know that they want to buy a property in a short time frame. Otherwise, they wouldn't have engaged that buyer's agent. So that obviously works in our favor as well.
0: Yeah, because it was interesting. You asked that first question. I don't know whether or not the listeners still remember the first question, which is you know, what, what should the buyer put in place before they sign the contract? It, it, not long ago, somebody, some buyer actually called me and asked me, oh, I'm going to buy something. You know, you're my lawyer. Can you tell me, you know, what do I need to do? But to be honest with her, I say, it's not a lawyer's job. What do you need <laughs> to do now? <laughs> because very little thing I can do for you. you know, but, but, but most people, they think that, oh, I've got a lawyer acting, I'll be fine. But it's not like that. You know, you buy a property, there are many, many things to consider you know, which I can't help. This is a Bobby's job, you know, to, to find the best property that suits you, whatever question you may have. That's the job of the buyer's agent. And And, you know, we can give you all the best clauses. But the commercial reality is you can't put them in because, for example, in Western Australia, the vendors, they don't even engage a lawyer after the contract is signed. So I can't even negotiate any clauses for the buyer on the buyer's behalf. Right? Until so, after so, exchange. Yeah. Until after exchange.
1: Which is too and, late then.
0: Yeah. And it's too late. So whatever concern you may have. And sometimes, you know, we have some nice clauses, which, which we, we will suggest. But then Bobby, you guys would decide, Oh, no, you know, like, you know, this really not, not going to be a problem. But if we put a clause like that there, then the vendor, they may worry too much and then they may not accept the offer. Right. It, it does happen. This is a commercial. Right. You know, they're commercial reasons. If you ask us, we can give you a 20-page contract, but that's not what you want, right? You, you want to have a successful deal.
1: Correct. It's about, it's about balancing out the, yeah. the mitigating that risk and making sure that you're, that you're protected if something was to go wrong. But it's also a case of being able to put a deal together, which is going to um, get across the line. A lot of the times we'll ask agents, how many offers do you have on the table? They'll, they'll, they might say three. We'll ask, what are the clauses on those contracts? And the amount of times the agents will tell us, oh, they've got this clause, they've got that clause, they've got that clause, they've got that clause, then we know, okay, well, our offer doesn't actually need to be as high as we were initially thinking because that con- that offer is so complex and and there's so many hurdles that that buyer wants to jump through before they want to exchange that our offer can actually be lower and make it more straightforward uh, while mitigating that risk and actually you know increasing that probability of getting the deal across the line.
2: I yeah. think what you've just said—that's invaluable. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely yes. invaluable. If you've got that on your side and you've got a good relationship with the agents, yeah. Yeah, it's very, very advantageous. Very 100%, advantageous. Hundred
1: percent. So, Crystal, before I before I um I butted in rudely, so apologies about that. I I just wanted you mentioned um Queensland and South Australia, and then we're going to go to Western Australia. Is that correct? In terms yeah, I of think building investment and and finance.
2: Yeah, so just one thing, touching back on South Australia, I should have said that uh, you're entitled to your full deposit back in that circumstance if you wanted to rely on those two uh, clauses for the building and pest and finance. Okay, okay, so yeah, moving to Western Australia, it gets a little bit harder um, and threshold goes up a little bit more. So looking at finance, you basically have to apply, use your best endeavours, and you have to apply as soon as the contract is exchanged. Okay. And it goes a step further and you actually have to provide the vendor with copies of, if you do obtain approval, you have to provide a copy of that finance approval. And if you are relying on that clause to not proceed, you, are, you also have to provide copies of every application for finance made and a copy of a, a, a like a letter from a financier or a bank stating that your finance hasn't been obtained. Okay. So the threshold does jump quite higher than say Queensland and South Australia. Okay, so it's a little bit harder to rely on the finance clause unless you've actually legitimately gone out there to try your best to get finance. Yeah. And you you have to prove that to the other side. Sure. Okay, Okay. so a bit harder. Now, building in pest is also harder as well. Now, it sort of separates into building defects and then you've got your pest defects or damage. Okay, so for building, we're looking at it It actually restricts to major structural damage. Okay, so it's not just you're not happy with the report because maybe the shower is leaking. It doesn't go as far to extend to that unless there's something majorly structurally wrong with the property, you cannot make a claim against the vendor. Okay, so that's really important because like I said, you could have five different things come back in that report, but you can't necessarily make a claim under the contract because it limits it to major structural defects only. Okay, and not only that, it goes a step further as well, and it's only for most of the time for the residential building. Okay, so if there's a detached garage or a shed, it's not necessarily included as part of the contract unless it's specifically put in there. Okay, so it is it is majorly different to the other states.
1: Okay, so for the buyers potentially looking at an older property in Western Australia, they could put in different clauses in the additional clauses in the contract, you know, maybe allow for a, a roof inspector to check the the roof and the gutters or I don't know, what, what other clauses could someone potentially put in that um, based off the building and pests, if there's going to be rectification works more than $10,000 then the buyer wants to pull out? Could you do something like that?
2: Yeah, definitely. So that would be up to the vendor to agree to or not agree to. And this is where, where you guys would come in great and go, yes or no, it won't work. Yeah. Okay. But you can basically request any clause. Our recommendation would obviously be like the other states to a satisfaction would be yeah. perfect. Okay. Coming down from that, like you said, uh, yeah, you could make a limit to say $10,000 worth of damage. Or like I said before, you can include all aspects of the property, not just the actual main dwelling itself. So yeah, yep. you can include a lot of things. It's just up to whether the vendor wants to go that far to accept that clause and put it in there.
1: yeah, like i I would say as a buyer's agent, it's not unrealistic. if you If you see a property that is a bit more weathered or or that is a little bit more dated, mm. I don't think it's an unreasonable expectation. Let's just say you're buying the property $10,000 cheaper than what you think it's worth because of the potential condition. And then I don't think it's unreasonable to put in a clause or to try to put in a clause in the contract subject to the the building and pests showing that there's not more than $10,000 worth of rectification items. And then, you know, that sort of protects you and gives you that buffer if you're buying it under comparable sales. But
2: exactly,
1: just whether it gets accepted or not, that's a different story. So it comes down to the buyer's, I guess, risk profile and, and palatability in that regards.
2: That's it. And you can always try to get away with it you get the feedback that it's not accepted, then yeah, we just have to tell the purchaser what that risk is. And then they either take that on board and proceed or they realise there's too much risk there. Yeah,
1: so okay. that's a good point. All right, perfect. Um, I did touch on this a little bit earlier. Uh, in just terms before of- you
2: keep going, Bobby, yeah, yeah, I'm going to touch sorry. on um, the, the pests just because that was the building. So they sort of separated out in Western Australia. So for, okay. for the perfect. pest inspection side of things, yeah. it's also a higher threshold as well. So you're looking at either current termite activity yeah. or previous termite damage. Okay. Okay. Or boars. But yeah, basically it, it does restrict it. Say in Queensland, you may want to turn around and say, oh, wait, there's a risk that this property might be subject to higher rate of termite infection sure. or infestation. Okay. So then you can go and you can maybe claim compensation for putting in place a termite barrier. In Western Australia, it's it's generally not, not looked upon very favorably to request that. So yeah, it, it sort of does limit what you can request in terms of pest as well.
1: Okay.
0: Right, but, cool.
2: um, but, 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 but don't get me wrong. I mean, we do work with
0: the bias agents to put in some clauses, some other clauses in for the bias that if it's considered necessary, we'll put in beforehand, you know, to get that benefit for the clients. I think, especially Western Australia, it does need a bit more attention for reason, which I just mentioned, because the vendors contract, so-called, is not prepared by any lawyers. So therefore, the agent will present something. Obviously, they are the you know they're the vendor's agent. They try to present you something as simple as possible.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But on the buyer side, all the more the buyer need the, that experience from a buyer's agent and from you know ourselves as legal representative to protect you from you know from any um, you know that kind of risk.
1: Yeah, no, hundred percent. I, I I totally agree, and I, I guess this shows why it's so important. To to work with uh, solicitors that operate Australia wide, um, like you, you do need to have your solicitors do need to have their licences to operate in state in each state. And if you're just working with a solicitor that works in one state, okay, if you know where you're buying, then then it, it makes sense. However, like for us, when a client comes on board, we might be looking in three different states for them. Now we can't engage one lawyer or one you know one lawyer for each mm. for each region. That's essentially three times the cost that could potentially be occurred by, well it is three times the cost that would be occurred by by our clients So if you are looking to buy across a few different states and you're not entirely sure working with someone that does operate Australia wide you can obviously see here that there are in some cases quite quite drastic changes from state to state so so it is it is extremely important as, as it could cost you you know tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars um, in the long run um Was there anything else you wanted to mention uh, about about the building and pestle finance Crystal?
2: No, I think that's basically, yeah, that, that sums it up pretty well.
1: Okay, yeah. perfect. So I did mention this earlier in regards to lots of buyers doing this uh, in, in Queensland, back when the market was going all gung ho with multiple offers on multiple properties. What are the risks that a buyer would entail if they're signing, if they're putting multiple offer, or if they're putting several offers on on multiple properties at one time? Can it be done? And what are the risks?
2: Yeah, so definitely if a buyer wants to go ahead and put more than one offer on, it's completely up to them. It is definitely possible. We would issue a word of caution though in doing that. So I think it depends a lot on how that offer is being made. So if you've got a purchaser sitting there signing two contracts and then giving it to the the seller or the seller's representative as their offer, there's potential there for the seller to sign the same contract and you've got a binding contract. So obviously we would not recommend that. Yeah. Um, there are different ways of putting offers forward, like we see from the investor's agency, which is a great idea. The offer is put forward by the investor's agency on behalf of the client, setting out what terms of uh, the terms of the offer, the amounts, any special conditions, etc. that need to be put in. That would be a more favorable way of doing it. And I think the only other thing worth mentioning there if doesn't really apply to the investor's agency, but sometimes if a purchaser was to put an offer forward in writing so say by email and they're signing off on that at the end of their their email not necessarily a web signature but if they've got their name attached to it that may amount to enough for a, an official offer so a binding maybe mm, yeah yeah binding contract binding, so a binding but, contract could be made if the vendor
0: write back and say yep yeah, okay <laughs>
1: So Agreed. if you so if you put an offer in an email, could you say that if you put an offer in an email and your details are all on the bottom, and then it's essentially your personal details, the buyer's personal details are all in the bottom, and the vendor comes back and agrees, that could potentially be argued that it is a binding contract?
2: Potentially. Wow. We've never had a matter that has had that happen, but obviously yeah. we have to sit here and say it is a possibility. Yeah. Okay. That's why we, we think it's, it is better with the investors agency the way that you guys do it. Yeah. Okay, you make but it obviously, the offer is. I mean it, say
0: the difference is if the if someone else writing for you, right? If someone else writing on your behalf. Yeah, okay. It's less likely that is considered to be something signed by that party. Okay. Unless because, you hold the
2: authority to exchange. For them. Yeah. Oops. Unless you hold that authority.
0: You say, "Oh, we actually, you know, we hold the authority of exchange." So, but you also can have a disclaimer in your email and say, "Look, you know, nothing in this correspondence, you know, amounts to, you know, any mm. formal exchange of contract, blah, 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 okay. Then you may save yourself. So what we're saying is just be careful, even though it's an email, you may think, oh, we can say anything in the email. If you yourself are sending out the email, then, then I mean, that is in writing and it, there is an electronic signature, so there is a contract.
1: Yeah, okay. It's just just to be a
0: little bit the other careful. the yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah just of course, be careful. No.
1: Of course, no. That totally makes sense. I think that, that that's that's very valuable what you just mentioned. So that's good to know.
0: Because contract doesn't need to be pages and pages of document. You know, pay, contract only need to be able to. You only need to identify what the property is, how much it is, right? That yep. they are the essential terms of the contract. When is it going to settle? In Tasmania, probably that's pretty much it. <laughs> you know, the contract yeah. only two pages
1: yeah okay cool and we noticed that as well like in in brisbane you guys mentioned it before brisbane for example queensland for example the contracts are extremely straightforward and they're normally drafted Mm -hmm. up by the agents and generally speaking they're all just a standard template and then you just check the special conditions but yeah then you get other states like new south wales where it can be 20 or 30 pages and and be you know far more complex in that regards
0: yeah. I mean in, in most other in most of the state, even west western Australia or Queensland that you mentioned, they do incorporate some standard terms, you know, in the contract. So the you know, so the contract itself for the client to sign may appear to be just a few pages, but they do incorporate whole heaps of the terms. What yes, what I was saying terms. in yeah. yeah, what I was saying in Tasmania is that, you know, they, they, they don't worry about any of that. <laughs> Very simple, straightforward. <laughs> Basically
2: Sometimes.
0: the buyers beware. The buyer beware. You are buying, you do all your searches, you take your risk. That is in Tasmania. But it's kind of like in different states, they have all this statutory protection on top that making the vendor to do things, you know, the vendor disclosure, the vendor has provide all the attachment. And if the vendor doesn't say something, like in Queensland, for example, the buyer may be able to pull out. If the the vendor warrants something, in the end, it, it, uh, you know, proved not to be correct. And then, the buyer can pull out. And these are protective measures for the buyers. Different states are different.
1: Yeah, definitely. Look, and I'm just mindful of time because we've unpacked a ton of value and we're sitting on sort of just under 50 minutes. We're going to get close to an hour on this podcast and we've unpacked, as I mentioned, a a lot of value here. But the last question I wanted to ask, and before I sort of leave it with you guys, if you wanted to add anything else, but the last question I wanted to ask was, this is a way that we've purchased property before for clients quite often. And it's, it's essentially purchasing a property before we've even inspected it however putting a clause in the contract to allow us to inspect the property essentially which states allow special conditions where a purchaser is able to purchase a property subject to inspection so essentially if someone wants to exchange on a property before ever before even looking at the property which states allow for this and also I guess that leads into the, the next question as well in terms of pre-settlement inspection. So there's two inspections here. One's a pre-exchange before you even look at the property. The circumstance would be it's an off-market property and it's going on the market in four days' time. However, we want to have a look at it We want to exchange on the contract before it actually goes on the market, but we don't have time to go have a look at it. So we're going to exchange on a a property before we see it. That's an example of of times that we've done that. Which states allow for this? How would you suggest the wording to be to be given for, for a clause like that? And are there risks essentially for buyers there?
2: Yeah. Okay. So definitely recommend a clause like this to be included if there is not an opportunity to inspect prior to signing the contract. It's not a standard clause in any state, so its inclusion would need to be requested. Sure. Okay, which is easy to do. You just put it in writing with your offer and let the other side know that that's your intention. Usually we see, I think when we work with you guys, five to seven-day inspection period, I think is the, the usual time.
1: Correct. Okay. Yeah.
2: And like you said before, it's great you have the contacts to arrange inspectors during that time because sometimes you can't do that in such a short period of time. Okay, so if you've got the contacts there to do it, it's great. But um, yeah, so any state, you can request it. The wording of the clause, basically, we would be looking, like we said before, to buyer satisfaction, basically making the contract subject to the buyer satisfaction of that inspection. Okay, so leaving yep. it quite open, not putting any terms on it, apart from they need to be 100% satisfied, basically, or they've got the option to withdraw from the contract without penalty.
1: Yeah, okay, and, and I guess the. the it's happened to us quite a bit when COVID was ramping up around the country where tenants have got caught COVID. We can't access the property for another week. We know it's a great deal based on the information that we can see so far. So let's sign the contract, let's get it off market. And then that Mm -hmm. means we have a week by the time the tenant comes out of isolation to actually go and look at the property. So that was happening more often than than you'd think. So pretty much Mm -hmm. that can happen anywhere in any of the states. I mean, based on what you're saying, Crystal, but I mean, it is also likely that if you try to do that in New South Wales, they'll just say no, um, most likely. Um, <laughs> yeah, New
2: South Wales aren't very friendly in that regard. <laughs> yeah. Like you said before, if, if you're looking at Queensland and you've got the favourable building and pest and finance clauses,
0: mm.
2: if, if you cannot get a clause like that for the inspection in the contract, at least you do have those backup clauses. We yeah. obviously don't recommend clients use them for the wrong reasons. Yeah. Okay. But um, if there is something bad in an inspection, perhaps it will get picked up in the building and pest, and you could rely on the clause in that way. But somewhere like Western Australia, where you're quite limited in that regard, highly recommends the pre-purchase inspection. Yes. Yeah. yeah.
1: And and there, there pretty much always is an issue that's going to arise on a building and pest inspection. So <laughs> um, that's why you know that's why like in in, Brisbane, in Queensland, it is it is quite easy to use yeah. that use that um, clause. Um, what about for pre settlement inspections? Are these normal across the country in in the different states?
2: Yes. So basically all states. So when I say all states, we're talking about Queensland, New South Wales, Victoria, ACT was it ACT? I have to double check on ACT, but um, Western Australia also have one. The only one that doesn't is South Australia. So recommend any contract for South Australia has a special condition inserted prior to signing that contract that allows for a resettlement inspection.
0: Okay. Yeah, we were we were most surprised that happened to one of our clients that the vendor actually refused. They refused. <laughs> I mean, I, I must yeah, say point that, point. <laughs> you know, they refuse to have any pre settlement inspection. I mean, that's uh, a bit extraordinary. So it is it is necessary to include that clause in the contract
1: for South Australia.
0: South yeah. Australia, yeah.
1: And then is it is it? Oh, do you often find that in the other states it, that clause is removed, or do you find it's almost always in all the contracts for the other states?
0: No, no, it's in. It's, it's not in removed. There. Yeah, it's okay. in there. I mean, I I can't get my head round. Why, is, why the party shouldn't, you know, it, it's a matter of common Allow. law. I, mm. Yeah, as a matter of common law, they should be allowed, but rather than arguing, you know, something to, in a difficult way, then we, we just have to make sure that it is in, in a contract.
1: Yeah. All right, cool guys i think um i think for this first part of these two episodes we'll leave it there i, I think i'm cautious of your time, uh, and, and and appreciate the time you've taken out of your day I, I know you guys are super super busy and we are running just under that one hour mark so also cautious of the listeners time we will have you back on again next week to go through episode i guess episode two of this i guess i call it a mini series I and mean, we're going to put all your details in the bottom of the notes, sure. where they can find you if they need to. But is there anywhere in particular that that they can that they can find you if they wanted to learn more about what you guys do?
0: Yeah, we, we'll send you some link, and you can leave it there.
1: Perfect. So, so we'll put those links in the um in the uh, information when we publish the podcast, and we can go from there. Well, thanks a lot for coming on today, Viola and Crystal. Is there anything else that you guys wanted to wanted to share for for the listeners before we check out for the day?
0: No, I'm fine. We can talk again next week.
2: Perfect.
1: Yeah, I think that's fine. Thanks, Bobby. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Bye. See you
2: later. Bye. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening to the Lazy Equity Podcast. The advice given on this podcast is of a general nature only, and you should make your own decisions before taking any financial risks. If you would like to stay in touch with the show, join the Lazy Equity Facebook group or find the Investors Agency on Instagram and Facebook.